Welcome to the 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast, a retrospective. Hey folks, Brennan here. Thanks for tuning in to our 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you want to reach out or follow us, we're on Facebook and YouTube as 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch as 25 Years of VTM, and on our website at 25yearsofvtm.com. Support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 years of vampire the masquerade. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. Hey everyone, welcome back to 25 years of vampire the masquerade presents werewolf the apocalypse tribe book Wendigo. With me today, I am accompanied by Mike. What's up? And myself, which I forgot to introduce. I promise one day I'll get this right and I will be DJ your host for today. Um, we have an interesting book coming up, and I think this is really good because we have gone over Tribe Book Atena and um, had some interesting perceptions about how that story kind of rolled out, as well as the way the book was kind of formatted and brought here. And Wendigo gives us something completely different, which I think is going to be interesting for our listeners because you always want to make sure that each tribe has its own flavor. And we know that Wendigo and Utena usually get paired up together, but they have their own reasons to be able to do so. So without further ado... Mike, you want to walk us through that intro story and what we thought about it? Yeah, um, intro story is is super straightforward, right? It reads a lot like um, how you might start a game. Um, the curtain rises on <laughs> a mother. Uh, there's a mother who, who wishes to have a child. Um, and for whatever reason, she can't, right? The story doesn't bother with a lot of speculation. Um, she goes to the, the local shaman. Uh and seeks a consultation, right? Um, their village is, is, has already been Christianized. And you instantly kind of get this feeling that the, the mother feels some, some shame about whatever her situation is. Um, and doesn't really care, frankly, what the shaman's methods are going to be. Well, to her, uh, fortune, he's able to help her have a child. Story doesn't say how, doesn't really matter. She's with child. Child comes to term, and she dies in childbirth. Um, I, I, you might see where this is going. It turns out that our our shaman right has given her a little bit more than she bargained for. Um, because this child is not just any child. It is. Don't judge me for for my pronunciation of this word. Anna Kalik. Anakalik. There's some extra consonants in there that kind of trip me up. Um, but suffice to say, the child is special because it eats and it eats a lot. The reason mom dies in childbirth is because it's eating pieces of her. Um, and quickly, this baby's appetite becomes a problem. Um, when they see when the family of this mother sees what, what the baby's done to her, they abandon it. They just leave it in the village, like that's okay, right? Um Shortly afterwards, a, a child of Gaia comes along. He's heard that a child who's special in some kind of spiritual way uh, has just been left in this town. Um, lo and behold, this baby bites this Garu's face and grievously wounds him. Um, and as the baby continues to bite people and things, it grows in strength. Well, a pack of Wendigo come along and those are the heroes of our story and i won't spoil the end of it for you but suffice to say for me um it went it went from again that real placid feeling you always get at the beginning of one of these uh tribe book stories straight into horror movie territory and i really liked it it was straightforward got the point across told me what i needed to know about the tribe what did you think all right, so that was one aspect of it, because that's what Mike got from it, which isn't wrong. He actually got a lot of the self-service <laughs> feelings that we would normally would see. But, you know, a couple of things that I did pick up in there is, you're right, this baby was evil. When he speaks about that Christianized village, all the, you know, all, all the mentions that all the white folk that were around were like, oh, great, she's going to have a baby. Mary's going to have a baby. But all of the natives were like, this is bad news bears. Uh, we already knew it was going to be bad news bears, but as Mike said, she didn't care. She wanted that baby, and lo and behold, you have this this killer baby on the loose that just continues to eat through its mother, through a child of Gaia who decided to pick it up because it's like, I'm a child of Gaia, and we'll rip on them. And I'm going to go ahead and help her. Ah, it's in my face! And starts to <laughs> chew on it and starts to eat. And you're right, the pack of Wendigo do come through. But what makes it special 
in terms of why that Wendigo pack was probably able to stop this evil because no one knew how to take it down, right? I think that's the biggest thing that they were going. They're like, what are we going to do with this baby? I don't know what to do with the baby. What do you remember about how to deal with these babies? I don't know. What about you? And they're like, wait a second. We remember these stories, right? Because it's important. It's the stories that help keep the Wendigo around um, and how they discovered how to take care of it, right? They were able to freeze it, pop it, cork it, and make sure that baby don't come back to this topside realm because they stuck it in the underground. As Mike said, we're not going to ruin the the climax of it, but you get the drift there, right? That the Wendigo knew something that others didn't. So the question is, why did they know it? And I think that kind of leads us into this book. Um, hmm. As with all things, right? Here comes the creation myth. And the reason why we always get into this in such a funny fashion is because it's always from a perspective of other things. Uh, we already had the Utenas perspective. Um, and now getting into the Wendigo one, you know, it's funny because every time I think about the Wendigo one, it kind of brings me back to the Bastet in terms of the animism, in terms of how they kind of uh, describe it, right? So they speak about grandmother, grandmother being Gaia, who goes like, well, I'm alone. I want to do things. I want to create things as well. It almost reminds me of the Oracle from the Matrix, where she's trying to make them cookies and goes like, <laughs> child, child of mine, great muskrat, bring me something in which I could build my earth on. So Muskrat decides, I could do this for you, Grandmama. Goes straight into the earth, through the waters, and tries to bring back something and brings back a piece of soil. And from a small amount of soil, um, Grandmother is able to go ahead and create the world. And as she's creating all this firm ground, Beaver goes like, I could help you, Grandma. We could go ahead and put the world on my back, and it'll be nice and cool. But unfortunately, the world ended up becoming too much for Beaver to bear, so they gave it to Turtle. And Turtle's like, I could do this. And they're like, bet, we'll give it to Turtle. And Turtle now creating and holding the world on its back um, starts to grow as the world grows. And so this is where we start getting the myth of how Turtle starts carrying the world on its back and how it's presented in that particular fashion. Another thing that it mentions is that Grandmother had created women. And women are important to the story because they birth many things. On top of that, she also did create different types of shifters, right? All the other animal people, as they would call it, versus the human people. And it was Grandmother's wish that at one point in time, they were to mix. They were to have the animal people breed with and couple with the the human people in order for them to be able to go ahead and create this fair union to be able to bring more shifters into play. But Grandmother also did something interesting because she also said, hey, by the way, hey, by the way, if we'd be able to, what we want to go ahead and do is make more people of different creeds and colors and bring more, uh, you know, differences into the world. And that being the case, this is where we start getting other people. So grandmother was very good in this particular type of story. And, you know, one of the other things that kind of brings into this is how it starts to scale up a little bit. It speaks about the sky woman who at this point, I believe is considered Luna. I take her as Luna and uh, Luna had chosen her favorite uh, children, which happened to be the wolf changers. And of those wolf changers, in this particular story, we speak about the three brothers, right? Uh, the three mm -hmm. brothers is the yes. older brother who originally had coupled with a human, the middle brother who had also coupled with a human, the youngest brother who was of the wolf. And now, from this, you get your three brothers who apparently happen to be the main stay of the story. This is where it kind of shifts a little bit from everyone else because, as we've seen in previous podcasts regarding um, our werewolves, Typically, what ends up happening is we have that one tribe's perspective, but we have three tribes' perspective because they're all like they're, they're all linked. There's no way you could take them apart for certain things, and especially because of their purpose and how they end up getting to where they are, which is inevitably brought over before the Great Horn Spirit. Mike, would you be able to cover the Great Horn Spirit for us and what significance does it have? Yeah, so it, it's basically right. Pretty obviously, the the worm, like they don't. They never just come right out and call it. Well, I shouldn't say never. Eventually they do. But it's Great Horn Spirit is the worm. And it wasn't 100% clear to me in the reading, but I'm pretty sure they are. They try to say it's got a presence in North America already. And in fact, the reason that they're mm -hmm. traveling is because Gaia has kind of foreseen what the worm is working its way up to do, right? Um, and so they say, or I'm sorry, and so she says, Hey, I need you guys to go over there. Get ready, right? Bring your people with you. We got we got some cleanup work to do, some preventative maintenance, right? In the uh, in the in the pure lands, as they'll come to be called. Um, and an interesting note, according to this book, 
it wasn't just our three brothers who heard that call. According to this book, Gaia sent that call out to everybody. All of the yep. tribes of Garu were supposed to make their way uh, to the to the Pure Lands way back in the Forever Past. But for reasons that aren't clear to the Wendigo, only the three brother, brothers answered the call. But anyway, Worm's doing bad stuff. Pure, the Pure Brothers say, all right, we're going to head across this land bridge. Um, but they don't perceive it that way. The land bridge tail kind of comes up later. The way they remember it is that they came from the sky world. Now, DJ, I, I, I'm kind of interrupting the narrative here, but can you clarify for me what the sky world is supposed to be? Because I read this whole book and I didn't really pick it up. Did you get an impression? Well, the impression of the sky world that I ended up getting from this particular situation was that they are of the spirit world as well, right? Because even though they, they kind of mirror it, they treat each one of the worlds as the world beneath the, the earth, the world beneath the sea, the world beneath the you know the ground, as we mentioned before, and the world beneath the sky. Um, and to them, from where they were kind of considering, which in this case, we're also talking about Siberia in terms of how they're also bringing themselves over to be, and or it could be an allusion to Pangea at this moment, right, as we start to kind of break away. Um, mm -hmm. that's where it kind of, it started coming in from, right? It's also worth noting folks. And I forgot to mention as well, that the perspective that we're hearing the story is from, uh, a Wendigo who has been grievously wounded and he is making his way in and he finds himself into a lodge and the stories that he's beginning to hear, or at least this creation story that we're being exposed to is because there are four other Wendigo elders that are sitting around and then they're passing their story over to this, um, to this young buck. Right. And this is the reason why he has to tell the story. Um, because you do mention that there is that crossing over. At this point, we still haven't even understood what Wendigos, or even at this moment in time, how they come to be Wendigo, end up being who they are. Right now, as, as Mike was mentioning, we're crossing the Bering Strait because we're heeding Gaia's call. We know that the Great Horned Serpent, apparently, who I think is an analogy, or rather we know is an analogy for the worm, is over in like the other land. It's over in North America, or what we consider to be North America, or these quote-unquote pure lands, and it's growing unchecked. And the reason why it is growing unchecked is because, you know, this this entity exists everywhere, you know, and the same thing should exist as well for guys protectors. Guys protectors should be everywhere. But this goes to show that not everyone heeds the call in the fashion that they need to. And these three brothers were the ones to go ahead and do so. You know, the interesting thing about that is as we're starting to cross over the Bering Strait, it actually gives us a tale about how they encountered, you know, these evil um I shouldn't say evil because that would kind of be a misnomer for it. But we start fighting the entities from the worm. And then they start to kind of give up resistance and they fight. You know, all these tribes are fighting. These three tribes are fighting their way over through the, the Bering Strait. And in the process of it, there are a lot of good losses. Some we assume that would be uh, due to weather. Others we assume to be agents of the worm. But it does speak of a significant tale. The tale of Morning Sun, which happens to be one of their strongest warriors, and she was the one why she was able to wreck most of these agents of the worm to do a final battle, so to speak, so that their people were able to cross over safely. But in the process of doing so, she had passed. And she was sponsored by Sasquatch, and Sasquatch was big and mighty. And it was Sasquatch, actually, that assisted them with being able to cross through this freezing cold. But with the death of Morning Sun, that kind of affected Sasquatch a little bit, right? Because yeah. Sasquatch knew that he was in love with her, and he tried bringing her back. He's like, baby, don't. No, so please don't go, baby girl. I got you. But she she just wasn't coming back to life. And so eventually Sasquatch ended up shedding tears. And those tears turned to ice to mirror the coldness in his heart. And uh, it went over him. And he became what is now known as Wendigo. How'd you feel about now, see, that? I was, I was going to say, DJ, this is the first point in the book where I'm like, hold up. Wait a minute. Hold, pause. Right? I slapped the pause button. Because you're telling me that this mighty, mighty spirit you know, because the, the way the narrative presenting, they, they put him next to Utena, right? They put him next to Turtle. Like he's, Sasquatch is not just some spirit bro that they met on the trip headed over, right? This, this fella's a big deal. He's a forest warden protector spirit, right? Mm -hmm. Lots of Garu die. But I have never, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. You might remember something I don't remember, but I have never heard of a spirit having such affinity for one individual Garu that their loss rends the spirit or wrenches the spirit in such a way that it is forever changed. And 
changed in such a way that to me sounds like corruption. Like if I am, if I'm the player and my character is Sasquatch, right? And the storyteller says to me, your heart is so broken that it is encased in ice made of your tears and you are no longer a forest warden. You are a spirit of vengeance. That sounds like the storyteller giving me a red flag saying, now be careful because you awfully close to worm tainted. What is this? Is it, am I, am I too far afield on that one, DJ? It depends on the perspective of it, right? Because you're you're currently taking a quick look at it in terms of like, okay, well, if it does exist as this, why would it change in the first place? But then I pause it back to you. Is it not able to change? Well, it's a spirit. It can, but like normally they're super restricted, right? They have to do the stuff that's in their domain. You don't see a bird spirit in the water and you don't see a forest spirit trying to protect the city, that sort of thing. Okay. And the story okay. makes so, makes it sound like his Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. No, 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 you're you're not quite off of that, right? Because let's uh for you know, right now we'll use a, a good analogy. For those of you who have seen the Sandman because it's streaming right now on Netflix, right? Or have read the Sandman. Uh Mike, are you familiar by any chance with the Sandman? Oh, I've watched the whole thing. I'm I'm almost through my third review. Yes. <laughs> okay. So we have one of the characters that we know are out of the endless, right? These super beings, these gods, these entities that have always been and always will be. Um, one of them is currently manifested as delirium. But delirium wasn't always delirium. Delirium was once delight before delight had shifted itself over mm. to become delirium. Something had happened, an event happened in which it didn't take away from its original meaning as much as it is it just went adjacent to it. Because one of the things that we know about Sasquatch is Sasquatch is endurance, right? It's one way or another, it's going to make it through. And Wendigo is not far off from it either, right? Because we know that as of the moment in time, Wendigo, not so much a spoiler, because for those of you who have played or will be playing Wendigos, know that Wendigo also does endure. It endures the cold, right? But in this case, what it's doing is it's manifesting a different aspect of itself. And what that aspect is, is it's that bitter cold. It is upset. It is very upset that its champion at this moment in time who was Morning Sun, ended up passing. And its rage cannot be held. And this is what manifests the cold to become the Wendigo as it is. Now, we completely understand as well that this is what's being presented. One important thing that does come from this is it tells you um, about the fact that this is the before times. We haven't even gotten to anything further yet. We're just talking about the prehistory of history. I think this is probably one of the few times that I've noticed in a werewolf book that they speak, that they don't fast forward the button, right? Where it's just like, oh, there was uh, there was Gaia, and then there was Luna, and then there was the breed that came, and then everyone's fighting for Luna's affection, and then begin our story, right? We're still at that mm -hmm. spot where they're like, all right, well, there was Gaia, there was Luna, there was these creatures that were human animals, we got them together, and we also created different types of races, and now at this moment in time, we recognize that there's an evil in the world, and we recognize that the Great Horned Serpent is part of the cycle, but we know that we have to do our part for it, so we have to go ahead and take care of it in another land. The land still hasn't even been populated yet when we fast-forward our story there. So I think we'll get into that in a moment, but I would like to say that I, I firmly do believe that it is a possibility that we're looking at an adjacent figure, right? Once again, Sasquatch is not far away from where the Wendigo is, um, at least in the telling of this story, because they still do endure. It's just a matter of how they endure now. It went from being, hey, this is for my people, to now feeling this is my rage, and I'll fight for my people, but once I'm unleashed, there's no stopping what I am. Does that make a little bit more yeah. sense? Yeah, yeah, right. I just... It just... Okay, I'm going to tell you why it was a thing for me. It feels like revisionist history on the part of the Wendigo, but I'm going to come back to that, because there's another moment that felt just like this. We're going to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right so kind of to bring us a little bit further in the story then um of importance right they notice that wendigo is what it is they're like oh we bro we can't you see that spirit over there that dude is just mad ice and if we bring him everywhere everything's just gonna like it's gonna become destructive we can't afford him to be around anything because he's just gonna turn to ice anyway the winds are gonna be way too cold there's nothing that we'll be able to grow out here so what are we gonna do about it so they got clever they were like all right how about this We'll honor Wendigo on our end. Older brother, middle brother, you guys go south and east. 
and I'll hold Wendigo up here in the north. And so long as I hold him up here in the north, you ain't got to worry about what he'll do to the lands. You do what you have to do. We'll do our part up here. They're like, bet. All right. They'll head over to the, to the south and the east. And, you know, the youngest brother at this point, or little brother, is the one making the pact with Wendigo going, we'll stay your age. We'll honor you as well. And we'll keep the traditions going so that you don't forget. They even offered him tobacco, which is of importance, especially. And Wendigo goes, understood. Then you could call on me whenever you need to. But be aware that when you do, there's no, you can't control what happens when you call upon me. Right? My rage will be unleashed to help you out. But at the same token, you can't judge for what comes from it as well. And this sounds a little bit familiar in certain cases. Now, it's not going to be a one-to-one analogy here. But I also feel like when you're taking a look at the get of Fenris, right? Or when you're calling upon Fenris, Fenris only understands one thing. And that's go, 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 and strength. And there is no difference between either. If you get bested, you get bested. But until then, you prove every worth of your inch to be able to do so. So it doesn't feel like it's off from that same perspective, at least in terms of saying that this grand spirit at this moment has every right to make a demand in the fashion that it does. And it doesn't seem like it's too far off from what we'd anticipate from other, you know, like other, you know, sponsors, I should say. Does this make sense? Like, does this feel adjacent to you? Or not? It it does it it does right. There's there's shades of the get here, but you never get the feeling from the get of Fenris that your allies are going to be in danger. Like get when it's it's when it's when they are on the war path, so to speak, to use a term from this book, they're moving together. Anything in their way is in trouble. But it, their their rage doesn't seem tainted by that potential that they are going to rip their allies into pieces just like they might rip the enemy into pieces. And I feel like the story of Wendigo specifically kind of calls out that that is a real risk you have to be aware of if you call on his rage. That part feels different to me. Mm. I agree. And and I- the, again, the reason why it's super sus, remember when they were saying the three brothers split up because they figured out, okay, Wendigo can't be controlled. We got to do something about this, blah, blah, blah. How is it that older brother, right? Who we know for his close relationship with the spirits and secrets and his masterful theurges. How is it that older brother? Isn't the one who gets assigned to hang out with Wendigo in the North and solve that problem. How is it that little brother who we only have relied on for his prowess as a warrior up until this point is the person who gets to assign to placate the great spirit who's in deep, deep sorrow over his lost loved one. I think this is more revisionist history from our Wendigo. And, you know, I think that's another thing because you are right. We, we know that there's a couple of things that are assigned and especially the way that the story is being told by our elders here. We know older brother, as you mentioned, knows, the secrets of the Manitou, which are your supernatural forces at this moment in time who reside and are able to call upon greater things that are out there, along with the six secrets, you know, the six force secrets or six wind secrets that do exist out there. Our middle brother was very good at discerning people, right? It was whether or not you tried to hide your emotions from middle brother. Middle brother knew when something was up for both good or bad. And we also know that the last one, which is little brother, was the fiercest warrior and he was the one protecting the pack. And I think in that case, it was a sacrifice of little brother, if you want to look at it that way, to hold back and go, you guys will do what you have to do because it's not, you don't have to put up the fight. You have bigger things in mind. You are to unlock those secrets because what if, you know, we already know what we tend to give up, especially when they become bane tenders. And it's like, well, this is my life from here on out. They stay where they have to stay. So if the, you know, if the, if the goal of, uh, of this tribe of little brother was to go in and not only fight because they're honoring the fact that Wendigo respected it, especially when you're looking at a great warrior such as Morning Sun, but when you're also taking a look at the potential of your elders in the form of middle brother and older brother and their capabilities, it would almost feel like you're handicapping them from their mission in life, right? For what they were meant to do. And then little brother goes ahead and makes that sacrifice to stay behind with Wendigo and go, all right, we know battle. We know what happens when we lose one of our own. We'll be the ones to sorry you. At least that's the way I kind of took it from that perspective. Yeah, and that that makes sense to me, right? You send the fighters to deal with the fighter when he goes angry. But do you remember in the Uctena book when they were talking about this moment in history? 
the Ukenna book mm-hmm. made it seem like there was simply a conflict over resources. Right. They say, hey, we got to the we got to the pure lands and we realized, OK, we got a lot of people. There's a lot of open land here. It doesn't make sense for us to kind of cluster up. Uh, middle brother, you go east. We're going to go west. Uh, little brother, you stay here in the north. Everybody will have their own space. Ukenna made it seem like this was just a logistic situation. Completely. Yeah, do we not know mention. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just saying, Utena sometimes be too close to the verb, and sometimes we don't know what Utena does behind closed doors. So when they're trying to feed us that story, we don't know if it's true or not. All I know Fair is enough. this Wendigo story telling Wendigo things, right? Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, but in, as we jazz about it, folks, it's, it's a real thing, though, because this is the perspective of telling you their story as they know it, specifically why Wendigo, even though as fearsome as it might be to other tribes, or as alien as it might seem to other people who don't understand, you know, their culture, where they're coming in from, once again, from a perspective of Garu, um, they give credence to this is an honorable thing to do, right? The, it is a sorrowful thing that Wendigo did have to go through um, in order for them to become who they are in the future. Um, but they're also very big on stories because they do have another story from the forever, from the forever ago times, right? They speak about the spruce woman and how the spruce woman, much like in the beginning of our story in the intro, desired to have children. And so she begged to have children, but she didn't know how. And uh, one day she got pregnant. And the tribal elders were like, well, how did this happen? How did you get pregnant? But you laid with no man. She was like, well, one day I just kind of was out and I was having fun on the trees and I was swinging on branches and having a lot of fun. And they're like, behold, it is (laughs) Wendigo's children that exist within her. And she had twins. Um, But they knew that a portent was about to come. And they they told her from the start, you're going to have two kids. One of them is going to do amazing things for us, and the other one is just going to be a really, really bad seed. And thus, when they were born, first one um, ends up <laughs> the first one ends up having to be born like a normal, you know, normal child, uh, known as seeks the wind, seeks the wind, normal child, nice, healthy baby boy. But the second one, which was known then as Winterheart, because of the fact that it just wanted everything, even into the womb, decided that it wanted to do what it wanted to do had burst out of its mother through her armpit, thus killing her. And so two brothers had existed. And as they start growing up, seeks the the secret of the wind along with, or rather seeks the wind along with Winterheart grew up together. And seeks the wind being the old one always took care of Winterheart. And as much as it ended up paining him, there were a lot of things that um, caused them issues because Winterheart was very, very, very selfish. But seeks the wind took his little brother along. He can't leave family behind. It speaks about how the brothers um, ended up learning gifts, especially Seeks the Wind, right? Because he takes his brother out to hunt and they're trying to make their own way in life, but they can't find any food. And Winterheart's going, well, if you can't bring me food, then what good is this? And he's like, but brother, I'm, I'm trying to get you food. I just can't get you food. So then he finds Sam and Sam's like, hey, listen, you you treat us with respect. We'll let you eat us and then we'll teach you gifts. And so long as you follow those things, we'll, we'll give you this ability. He's like, bet, let's go ahead and do that. He hunts Sam and brings it over. Winterheart's like, wait, where'd you get this from? Give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And when Seeks the Wind, it's like, all right, all right, I'll give it to you. Then comes another instance where after getting food and other such gifts, Winterheart goes, well, if my brother's the one getting all of this, if I could just get rid of my brother, then I might be able to do something about it. And specifically after he learned, um, he had some antlers around. So Winterheart goes and goes like, well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and stab my brother because my brother's got to go. And if he goes, then I should be okay. He grabs his antlers and tries to, like, perforate poor Seeks the Wind as he's sleeping, but the antlers don't go through. Seeks the Wind wakes up. Winterheart just throws the antlers to side. He's like, oh, brother, you're awake. You'd be amazed to find out the stuff that happened when you were asleep. He's like, yeah, about that. I had a a dream where I was speaking to, like, these elk, and they were telling me how to to interact with them and have the strength. And uh, they told me so long as... As I respected their ways, no antler would ever pierce my skin. And Winterheart's mm-hmm. like, well, drat, that causes me an issue. And then later on, a tribe come by. Uh, I forget their name if it escapes me. But this tribe had been associated with the uh, Great Horned Serpent and had captured them in their wolf form. And as they're captured in their wolf form, they get brought over to this village. And in the village, they, they speak. And Winterheart goes like, well, let me speak to the village elder. Because if I can speak to the village elder, I could probably get us out of here. So the village elder goes like, why don't we just eat you? And he's like, well, why would you eat us? What, what are you going to get out of this? It's not going to make any sense to do so. And the guy's like, well, you make sense here. He's like, listen, how about this? You work for that dude, the great horned serpent. I want to know his power too. How about you take me over to him and it's going to be a great old time. He's like, all right, good. 
leaves his brother, seeks the wind in the cage, and seeks the wind is just sitting there. And in the process of just sitting there, seeks the wind gets uh, visited by Storm, which is a very rambunctious young spirit who goes, what are you doing here? He goes, well, I'm kind of stuck here. I can't get out. What do you mean you can't get out? But you're a child of Wendigo, aren't you? Yeah, well, this shouldn't hold you in here. They're like, all right. They bust him out. He heads over to, to visit Wendigo um, because he wants to let Wendigo know that it's his father and he wants to honor him. Wendigo goes like, well, if you're my if you're my son and you claim to be, you should bring me the heart of the enemy, the one who does me most harm. And Seeks the Wind knew this was bad news bears because Seeks the Wind knows that at this moment in time, the greatest enemy, much like he's the greatest champion, must be his brother. He goes to visit his brother, who at this point in time had just like cohorted with the, the worm or the great horn serpent. And he goes, brother, Winterheart says to Seeks the Wind, why don't you eat some of this? This stuff is going to make you real good. And Seeks the Wind's like, man, this stuff is really rotten. And you've kind of gotten rotten too. And Winterheart goes like, whoa, I have more power than you now. I've tasted of more power than you. All those things that were given to you before, nothing compared to this good juicy worm meat that I'm eating right now. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, Seeks the Wind has to do what he has to do. And he puts his brother down and brings back his heart to his father. At that point, Wendigo goes, you know what? You've done amazing things for me. You've proven yourself. And in this case, I will bestow upon you all my gifts, everything that he's picked up so far. And since then, he's become a great warrior. But at the same time, he's very grim, alone, full of sorrow as well because of the things that he had to do. This mission, this quest had cost him his brother. Now, now DJ, <laughs> I hate to be conspiracy brother for this episode. Do but it. you mean to te- you mean to tell me <laughs> Seeks the Wind and Winterheart are on a quest to go find Daddy. They go to sleep in Lupus form and worm jowls come along and capture them. And then apropos of nothing, Winterheart is the first Garu in history to just smell the worm and say, mmm, good. And he's offered some rotten ass worm meat from the worm Jawas. And he says, yeah, give me some of that. It smells like it's going to make me powerful. And he's just chowing down and kicking it with the worm Jawas. When his brother comes back with a mission from daddy, not to kill the worm Jawas and cleanse his brother. Because remember, we find out shortly after this story that this is a point in the Wendigo's history where they don't have auspices yet. So they're as much Arun as Theurge as Galliard and so on and so so forth, right? So Wendigo could have said, go save your brother from the worm Jawas, because I don't remember the name of the tribe either, but I got the but from the description, I got the image of little evil Jawas. Right. Nasaki, there um, we go. They were the Nasaki tribe. You got it. You got it. Wendigo, instead of saying, go save your brother and cleanse his spirit from the worm taint, he says, go kill your brother and eat his heart. And we don't even find out what happened to the worm jowls. This, to me, but it, sounds like more revisionist history from the wind from the Wendigo. I don't even believe there was a winter heart. I believe he is a villain that they made up to make a hero seeks the wind look like a hero. When in reality, he was just a badass who ate some some other werewolf's heart back in the day. Okay. Do you buy it? Do you buy it, DJ? What does this line up for you? Well, does it have to line up? Because it is a myth story, right? It's trying to tell you the story of why it's important to be of Wendigo. We already know that Wendigo had to do things to make itself survive. It already suffered the first time around as he came when it lost Morning Sun. Now we're looking at time has passed, and once again, this is in the before times where you're right. You know, one of the important things to kind of post into this was Seeks the Wind was the every, it was the most badass. Wendigo to ever exist because this was pre-auspices according to what was being said. It carried all the best features of what someone who does espouse their auspice does, right? Because of what it had done in this journey with its brother. But in the same price, the price is its brother, that which was very close to him, had to be removed. And they had to make that decision to go ahead and remove it because it is an enemy of its people. Wendigo was even very well aware of it. And it's the heavy burden of having to do things that no one else does. On top of that, it also goes to show that Wendigo has it, it. It has no chill, or actually, it is all chill. Let's let's be real here. But it has no <laughs> chill when it comes to what it wants in terms of justice, and there is no mercy when it comes to hunting down the enemy. None at all. You can't afford it any mercy because we 
will come to recognize what happens when you do, right? And like you're saying right now, it almost sounds like too conspiratorial because they're like, it doesn't piece together because it almost sounds too absolute. But when you're taking a look at creation myth stories as well, they're kind of written that way because it's it's giving you the feel of what you should be able to anticipate and or expect. Because the more nuance you kind of start giving into it, the story might just start falling apart, right? We start taking a look at it more. Now we're starting to, to attach too many human emotions or too many hum, human logic to the fact that there are some prime directives that must exist for the tribe in order for it to proceed in the fashion that it does and what it does espouse. And I think that's where I, I kind of plant my, my tent spike in because that's what I'm getting from this as well is like, all right, my dude was the most badass ever, but in order to become the most badass ever and in order for him to gain the renown that he did and or be respected, not only from his peoples, but especially his father being Wendigo, the ultimate sacrifice had to come. So, so tell me this DJ, tell me this. Do you think that if the Wendigo tribe ever found out about the Bane tenders, they would seek the heart of the Uptena? I wouldn't say it's not outside the poss- the realm of possibility. But that's why a lot of I people don't, speculate about the Uptena, right? I don't think they would. I don't think I don't think that any of the three brothers, the three brothers that we know in 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 this real in the actual present day, I don't think the three brothers would ever seek one another's heart. Even if they found one another desperately falling towards corruption, right? Because they they have all of these themes of unity and whatnot. They weep for the Croatan, etc., etc. Ah, yes, the Croatan, though, Mike, the Croatan, because that brings us to our next thing. They tell us the story of how they figured out or how they had their part to do with the death of the Croatan, right? So, yep. in yep. this version of the story that is being told to us by our elders, we know that. It focuses on Wanchis, who happens to be the greatest warrior the Croatan ever had, who was also the one to put the final nail in the coffin against the Eater of Souls. But what makes it special is Wanchis wasn't alone, because as Wanchis is traveling and doing everything that he did to protect his people, especially when the foreigners from overseas started to come and he made his trip over, he had a friend, and his friend was Little Fox, who was a Wendigo. And on top of that, there was Old Eagle, which happened to be an Utena as well. And in those three, we know that this is the, our three main protagonists of this particular tale. Little Fox is eager to hang out with Wanchis, and Wanchis goes, listen here, we've given them chances, and I've been on this vision quest, and they are our kin, and even though we know that they bring with them, or have the ability to bring Ikomi, which happens to be their name for the Mad Weaver, which of course is the Weaver to them, but they tell you why they're mad, we should probably give it a shot, and let's go overseas and see what happens. He boards a ship, heads overseas, and ends up somewhere in England. Right, because he meets up with Sorale, or he's in the land of Sorale and the Queen. Upon being there, he sees the atrocities of what the Europeans bring. Right, they they don't have land, or they don't have space from time and things that they would be able to share and do. They take without being able to put back. And in this process, the the harm that they inflict on each other and on everything else is much of an atrocity to them. When Cheese gets very upset and decides to go ahead and bring justice to this land, but he quickly finds out he can't do it when two silver fangs be stomping on his face. They even use silver against him, and he didn't even know what silver was as a weapon used up against him until that moment in time. He's left beaten and bloody on the streets. They go, get your native ass over back over to the U.S. We don't need you anymore, at least back over to North America. We do the way we do things here. In the process of doing so, though, he meets up with, uh, I believe his name was William Withers, who happens to be a bone gnar. And the Bone Nara shares the stories with him. And between both of them, they end up having a friendship, right? That at this, he finds a little bit of succor. And through this process, he makes his friend. He's like, you know what? I should probably head back. But what happens when he heads back? Too much time has passed. And in the process of doing so, he finds out that even some of his people, in the form of, uh, I believe, the chieftain's name was Man- Manteo, or Manteo, mm-hmm. uh, had converted to Christianity. And now they're in this, this colony, um, and they're watching everything be stripped away. Right. They even talk about how one of the things that kind of happened were the fights that they had, you know, that the the Europeans had between each other was nothing as well compared to the fights that the Europeans had with the natives. And it was all over food. Once again, your story of resource kinds comes into play here. If If I remember correctly, they mentioned that the Europeans just didn't do their due diligence to grow crops appropriately. And as time was going by, they knew that they were going to get hungry. So they were blaming you know, the natives for not sharing their food. And so they should just go ahead and ransack them. And this is what started the wars. People started getting sent elsewhere. Fights started happening. And, you know, the one chief brought his people together. Listen, we can't, we can't deal with this anymore. This is too much for us to handle. 
and it hurts to watch all of this go down. So there's only one thing we could do, take them out. So they grabbed a pack of werewolves together, made the went over to the Europeans, the Europeans shot them down, only for them to get back up, and then they were they created a massacre, wiped everything out, and in the process of doing so, they figured, all right, they're not going to come back. They're gone. And that worked for a little bit, right, until we started recognizing that they were going to come back again. When Chiefs at this moment in time goes, oh man, this is, this is bad. I need to, I need to figure out what to do here. All right, I, I gotta go on this quest. Little Fox, you're coming with me. Old Eagle, you stay back. We'll, we'll figure out what's going on. And in this quest, they visit uh, many of the spirits, but no spirit had the answer for them until they met Utena. Once again, Utena. The thing about Utena and the reason why they didn't want to speak to Utena is because sometimes Utena may or may not be telling you the truth, and you're not exactly sure. Or rather, he might tell you a version of the truth, but it might not be a hundred percent what it is that you're looking for and where it's included in riddles. They say, well, what's going on? They tell him, this is there's a great spirit that's coming, and this thing's horrible. It's so much horrible, in fact, that the stuff that you're taking a look at there is going to cause you problems. Problems in the sense of it's going to infect the land, and now we're getting to eat our souls. It's going to infect your crops, and the only way to defeat it is for you to be able to sate its hunger. Well, how are we going to sate our hunger? Well, the only way to sate its hunger is by sacrificing somehow, or at least that's what one cheese took it as. And lo and behold, they go, okay, I understand what's to be done. They head back to the real world, and they start getting started on it. I did fail to mention, though, and I do apologize for this, that as they were wiping out all the other Europeans the first time around, um, we know that what the worm had also brought over were a bunch of black spiral dancers along with other Garu. Where other Garu had been there and started settling their lands, the black spiral dancers were the ones that kind of instigated a lot of the fights that happened between the Europeans and the natives in the story so far. So much so that they were able to kill almost all of the Black Spiral Dancers minus one. And that Black Spiral Dancer hid behind Manitou. But such was the rage of one Chis, um that he wasn't having it, especially because Manitou had converted over to Christianity, that he shot his arrow and pierced right through Manitou to get to the Black Spiral Dancer. And the blood of his own kin is what actually started the spread of the Eater of Souls. And so one Chis only felt now that we're moving forward in the story that the only way to make amends is to sacrifice himself. And so Old Eagle... He tells Old Eagle, Old Eagle, the lieutenant gets started on the right. When Chiefs gathers all his people, everyone's like, this, this is the way to go. This is the only way we're going to be able to kind of make things happen is if we we fight and get that honorable death that we were meant to have. They have the fight, and right before doing so, Little Fox, the Wendigo, goes, come on, bro, it's time for me to go in. You do this, I do this. They're like, no, nah, Little Fox, you have one job. Your job's to go ahead and protect Old Eagle, and then afterwards we'll go ahead and talk again. Little Fox is like, all right. Sounds like a great plan, but wait a second, I should be doing this. But Little Fox was too young to recognize at this moment in time that that was probably the last time they were going to see each other. Lo and behold, the great battle happens. The Eater of Souls takes the entire tribe of the Croats and with them, Middle Brother, and one Chiefs with them. And Old Eagle comes to visit the site to see what happens, only for Little Fox to see that one Chiefs has passed amongst the rest of them. And when Chiefs, or rather, uh, Little Fox looks back up to Utena and goes, like, This is your fault. If I had not been watching over you, I could have been fighting right next to Juan Chis and things could have happened, right? And the interesting thing that the elders speak about is they say they're not sure whether or not they really got rid of the Eater of Souls in entirety because it seems like that rage, because when Little Fox was originally part of that, that he might have been carrying a little bit of that hate in his heart, right? No that kidding. That hate, hate, hate was just starting, was no growing. No kidding. See, right. see, DJ, I can tell you a Wendigo propagandist is what it is. Like, you is on the conspiracy. Okay, so what you left out, DJ, is these Black Spiral Dancers, it wasn't just one pack. They had been trying to summon the Eater of Souls since the first Europeans got here and failed. Now, we don't have to go into detail about all of the messed up stuff that Black Spiral Dancers do, but suffice to say, they're probably doing all sorts of witchery and hoodoo and nasty stuff, trying to call up the Eater of Souls. You want to tell me that all it took was for Manteo to kill his kinsman, who has abandoned the ways, accidentally, while trying to kill a BSD, when in the last story... We just acquitted, seeks the wind for murdering his kinsman, and we said it was a good thing. Well, now you don't we remember. You there? When, I'm just saying, when Chiefs was a crow, he, he ain't Wendigo. 
I'm not saying he was Wendigo, but I am saying that how is it that do Black Spiral dancers doing everything they can do? They're they're winning in this little area. They haven't successfully summoned the Eater yet, but they've been trying and they've been trying for some years. And all it took was to bring the Eater of, to bring the Eater of Souls out was the accidental like concession to his rage, right? Juan Chase is mad and he accidentally he kills knew. his kinsman. Go oh, ahead, no, no, no. He didn't accidentally kill it, right? Because he had he had the choice of not doing it. Even there was confusion on Manteo's life because, once again, when Chiefs releases the arrow to go through Manteo to kill this, this Black Spiral Dancer, but he was upset at Manteo to begin with because of the conversion, right? Because he had left the old ways. So there was... We could also say there was a little bit of hate in his heart at that moment in time. He made the conscious decision to kill this dude because that guy was just being used as a body shield. He could have been like, all right, well, let me loop on over, get my pack, and then we'll circle around. He's like, nah, son, right here, right now, one shot, one kill, or one shot, two kills in this case. Right, right. And, and, and all it took was, right, because intent, you have to believe, is what kind of causes it to happen. You can't get no accidental death, like spilling of blood on holy ground. I mean, granted, it was spilling but, of blood, but it was intentional spilling of but, blood that might have caused it. But even still, doesn't that doesn't that go to serve the point? When 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 Seeks the Wind did it, supposedly, when Digo said, Go kill your brother, bring me back his heart, he's evil now. Right? Now, in Wanchisa's case, you know, it ain't like Croatin told him to kill his kinsman, but it's the same kind of righteous indignation at at a at a fellow, at a blood brother who has strayed from the path, right? Now Croatin is supposed to be able to read people. He's supposed to be the empath, middle brother. Right? But somehow Wanchis right. doesn't say, oh, let me go and 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 pull him back from the Wachisu, you know, the white folk, um, and, and and remind him of who he is. He says, Oh no, 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 the mission is more important. I need to put this black spiral dancer down so he can deal with either of souls. So when is it okay to kill I- your kinsman in the name of the mission? I don't think it's okay to kill your kinsman, but I think this is the thing that speaks to Werewolf the Apocalypse in general, right? Because, and I think we'll get into it in a bit as soon as we're done with this story, because I do definitely want to cover it. But I think more in this book than in any other book, the expression of rage is more true than I have felt in other books itself, right? Because rage is a curse. Rage is a curse. It's, it's both a weapon, but it is also a curse because you have to imagine that the way that we also envision you know, our world of darkness or the way we take a look at werewolf, you can only imagine, especially a high werewolf with so much rage built into it, right? It scares humans away. And it's because you have everything bottled up in there. And in this case, you could only imagine what one cheese is feeling. And it's baked into him already because of his nature that he is a Garu, that he does have this rage built up. And he let the rage get the better of him, right? Much in the same way that when you go into a death rage and or when you start reaching around when you've lost yourself out, there are factors in which it's way too polarizing for one to the other. And these, and it goes to show that even our heroes are not exempt from it. Our heroes must also be tragic at one point in order for the story to mean something. Otherwise they're too perfect. And it's like, Oh, here comes Gaston, right? And then you have little guys sitting in the background (laughs) and then it's beauty of the beast all over again. It's like, what can't Gaston do? Let's be honest. Right? So when we're taking a look at it from this perspective, even our three pure tribes who have spent their times in these quote unquote pure lands, who have learned to do the things that their other brethren wouldn't do because they haven't seen them in ages because they heeded the call that they wouldn't and came to learn a piece that no others would and came to learn a structure that was harmonious to them. You know, at this moment in time, we haven't even talked about the War of Rage. We haven't even talked about the Impergium. And this is now in like, what, where we're in colonial times and we haven't even, it's not even mentioned in this book. It's not to say that I don't believe that they've ever dealt with it either. But go to imagine as well, folks, that as you read this book, every other book has that insert in there where they willingly talk about the Imperium and or the War of Rage and what they ended up contributing, those tribes, um, and or that changing breed. In this case, it's absent in this Wendigo book. It's absent. From their minds that they have, they have bigger things to deal with, right? They have, they have betrayal coming in from other sides. They know what it is to deal with the worm. Their main goal was the worm in the first place. And as far as the way that's being depicted in this book, was that there was a certain level of harmony that they didn't have to worry about the, you know, the, the huge spread of humans and or shifters coming around. They were aware of the Gora, right? We know that the Gora did their thing, but Gora does their thing. Korax does their thing. We gotta watch out for the Nuisha though, because they, they something else. <laughs> but there were there was a land, there was a way of life that they were used to, and up until this moment in time, now we're talking about, you know, with the death of the Croatan, where everything ends up changing. 
when we start looking at the Wachisu coming in, when we start looking at, you know, these European Garu, uh, these worm bringers, um, start making their mark. And to, to bring it as a whole, knowing that what cost the Croats in their lives. And in this story, the most important part is the rage that Little Fox feels. Because it seems like the most consistent thing that occurs within the Rendigo is, and I, I guess to bring it into place, you know, part of the story that they talk about, especially when the elders get up, because there's four elders that talk about it. And one of these elders is from the Warpath camp. And he starts to hardcore rage in this book, right? Um, we will fully say, and it's probably something we, we haven't prefaced, if only because, once again, folks, we're reviewing a book from a fiction side, uh, a fiction side of you. And we very well understand and we have our own thoughts about how natives are brought in to kind of fill in this particular narrative to a degree, right? Because it's, we feel it more in this book than we felt it in the Oktana book. Um, especially because it's bringing in the perspective of, you know, the outside sources and how Native culture kind of blends in more with the, the, the Wendigo because of the lands are being taken. And as we're going back to this one member of the warpath, the anger they feel for these people that are coming in who have pushed them from one side of their land to the other side, from the Wachisu coming in, from the Wormbringers, from their way of life being taken apart um, at this moment in time, all these Garu, this particular tribe, know is rage because of the things that have happened to them, right? So far, up until this moment in the book, it tells you the rage that Wendigo felt for having lost Morning Sun, from Sasquatch becoming into Wendigo. The sadness and the burden and the sorrow, but also the rage that Seeks the Wind felt when it had to do what it had to do to Winterheart to gain its ability. The rage that Little Fox, as a Wendigo, felt not being able to protect its middle brother against its older brother, you know, which called, which gives a reason as to why, you know, Tenna and Wendigo aren't like, you know, they're not buddy-buddy. They're brothers, but little brother don't trust big brother for a reason. And it's because it felt that particular way. It always feels like they carry this with them. And I, like I was mentioning to you guys before, I felt this is where I, you get most, I feel the most rage actually show up, right? I know the tagline for Werewolf the Apocalypse, or at least the upcoming one, is when will you rage? But I always <laughs> feel these folks are always raging. And I felt that in this book so far up until this moment in time, you feel not only rage from a Garo perspective, but from a people's perspective or tribe perspective. And I don't know, that that kind of made me feel some type of way, at least in terms of like, I, as an, I'm, as an Apocalypse fan, I was trying to figure out how to tie it in, especially in the beginning, because everyone just wants to play the big bad werewolf. But there is rage that comes in you. You, you know that guy is being hurt, but you're not exempt from being hurt yourself. And these Wendigo feel it at this moment in time. Did you feel any different about that that passage when you start getting closer towards it, when they start talking like the close of Little Fox into, you know, this one elder who's talking about what he feels inside? How'd that passage hit you? Yeah, so I felt I felt almost precisely how you describe. Um you get a very tangible sensation from the Wendigo and from from that particular elder. His rage is not for what has happened to Gaia. Right? When you read a lot of other tribes, it's like, oh, the humans did this and the worm did that and somebody's raping Gaia and it's super bad what's happening to the environment and blah, 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 blah. The Wendigo are mad about what was done to them, right? They respect their role as protectors of Gaia, but that particular elder who's a member of the Warpath camp makes it super tangible that the Wendigo and their kinfolk were attacked directly in part by the worm and in part by people who should have been their allies in the, the European Garu, they were violated. Their, their, their families were violated. They were abused in the same way that we know that natives were abused in, in real life. Right. Um, and so, yeah, it, it, it definitely resonated with me as something that seems pretty unique to this tribe. The, 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 the specificity of their righteous indignation. You could almost taste it. But again, there is something. Go ahead. Uh, I'm just just throwing it back out there. I feel like they're not telling us something about Little Fox. I feel like Old Eagle Eye is right. Some piece of Eater of Souls left that 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 battle scene with the with the young Wendigo who wished he could have been there with Wanchis. But I interrupted you. Go ahead. No, and that's actually what I was going to pick up on because I I also do agree with you that. Little Fox is there as a tale, right? Because it's to say, you can't let something like that 
utterly consumed. You can't just be of that. And, you know, that kind of leads us to believe, okay, well, does it exist in every Wendigo? It, it, just as much as we suspect our great bigger brother, Utena, or older brother, Utena, cons- you know, consorting with the worm or being too close to the worm, can we also assume the same out of the Wendigo? Because Ultimate Rage is not going to win the fight every single time. And especially Ultimate Rage is not going to win in peace. And this brings us to what I think is the seed of hope. Um, because you feel it as well. You, It's weird, because I, I guess the best way of explaining it is when we take a look at any type of parable, the more extreme it is, right? Like, oh, you know, this guy you know, got swallowed by a whale, or like we had the gigantic arc. And the more extravagant it is, the easier it is for the mind to pick up, right? So we know that this rage that the Wendigo are holding on to is one extravagant end. But what about the other? The seed of hope is the fact that they also created this dance, right? This dance, uh, this ceremonial dance is something that makes them remember everything because they shouldn't forget. They shouldn't forget the losses and they shouldn't forget who they are. They shouldn't forget the tales. And for as much good and bad that they suffer, they have to remember these things because it's those things that they'll remember that will help them defeat the enemy. It's also those things that will help heal their people. And it's not only something that they did amongst you know, the mortals, or rather, you know, the, the, the kinfolk, but also wolf changers also participated in this because they feel that if everyone were just to get into the, well, and not to downplay it, but quite literally get into the groove of being able to heal themselves and, and bring themselves back to a, a semblance of peace, that is what is going to get them through the days, right? This is where we start seeing a lot of ancestor worship. This is where we start seeing those background dots kind of take into effect. But even more so, I think this is where the break and what makes them unique and what made that intro story unique is because in every other case, no one knew how to get rid of this baby, this demon baby that had burst out of its mom, but the Wendigo did because they didn't forget those stories, right? Where the Utena are the ones minding those particular secrets and getting mightily close to things that should or shouldn't be because it's a pursuit of knowledge to do so. The Wendigo record what has happened to them and they're the ones that will continue to do so. And I could see where, you know, moving into the side of a Wendigo Galliard and having those particular types of moots or telling those stories of renown for both good or bad um, would be super impactful this time around, right? Um, yeah. That, that's kind of what I got from it, and that's kind of where I'm wrapping up a little bit, at least in terms of their history story of what make the Wendigo kind of unique from my perspective. Um, the book does go over items within the, the litany as well, but to be honest, uh, everything that we've seen, so for example, just a good couple of ones like, Wolf changer must not breed with each other because that's not what the grandmother had intended. Fight the green horde spirit because that's what they were made to do. And respect the territory of another. Well, they've already done that, right? So a lot of the things that we've already seen um, in the litany have already been implemented by these people, have been implemented by the Wendigo themselves. But Mike, you, you've you done some some Cambro digging, even though I, I don't even really call it Cambro on a werewolf. Like, well, I mean, it is a vampire podcast. So I guess we'll still go with Cambro. But <laughs> what did you find amongst your travel as you dug through the back of the book where all the crunchy stuff is? Yeah, so I just, I just got to call it out, man. Um, there is a, they might as well have put a red star right next to this combo. I call it the fifty cal, <laughs> and the reason I call it the fifty cal is because it is obviously designed to kill something in one shot, and you can shoot around corners. They have a gift, um, named somebody's bow. I can't pronounce the name. Um, but basically. It is a gift where if you have a general idea of where the enemy is, you can shoot an arrow and it will turn the corner. I mean, literally, the example is there's a guy in that alley over there. The, your arrow will make a left turn and hit him anyway. Um, and it's just a gift they have. Now, it's level four, right? It's not like it's cheap. But, you know, being sh- being able to shoot around corners shouldn't be. Now, the gift that combines with this, that is, again, just a super obvious combo, they got a fetish in the back of this book that's called a stone bow, supposedly made from, like, the ossified femur of a giant or some such, and it deals six dice of damage on its own, and it retains that property that firearms have where your successes uh, on... Uh, the to hit roll add to the amount of damage you do. So they have this bow that's made out of stone and it's so hard to draw. You can't draw it until you turn the fetish on and a gift that lets you shoot it around corners. So you just get to be Robin hood for a day, dropping anything that can't tank 
eight or nine dice worth of whatever kind of damage is on the tip of your arrows. That made me giggle a little bit. I don't know. So you mean like for our PC gamers, we call it the wall hack, right? Where you're just like, oops, just every shot rings true no matter where you shoot. 360 yep. no scope. Yep. Might as well be an aimbot. <laughs> Ooh, I like that. That one will be fun. If, if if you can get your, your uh, storyteller to let you have one, that'll, that'll, that'll be fun. That'll be fun. <laughs> nice. But um, I think that kind of brings us a little bit closer to the conclusion of the book, but in retrospect, now that we kind of kind of dug through it together, folks, because this we Mike and I were waiting to kind of go through this, you know, and have our perspective of it because we have unique things, and obviously the way we read things are a little bit different, if only because that that's the joy of reading a book. How do you feel about the Wendell Bogle book in general? Like, what are your parting thoughts about it? Uh, it's a great book. Um, it's another one of the tribe books that I would recommend for somebody who's new to Werewolf because it's written in a way that just pours you into the perspective of a person of, of native American descent. Who's got the same historical grievances. Um, and it explains itself in terms that should be real easy. Even if you've never played a world of darkness game before. So I like it for that. Um, the stories are evocative. The imagery is strong. Um, I just also got the sensation that, the Wendigo are in fact the immature little brother of the pure tribes who make excuses and act out and want to be accepted for it or want to be tolerated, even though they know they do things they shouldn't do. Um, and I feel like that, that might be a, a good thing, I guess. Like it's if, if, if the authors can write the book in a way that gives me that clear com, uh, impression of, the social dynamic between the tribes. I, I, I want to say that that's a feature and not a bug. So book two thumbs up for me. Right. And to kind of layer upon that, like this is the first edition version of the book, right? We obviously know that we'll get into the revised one later and we'll be able to see what was packed into it. But I, uh, I much like Mike also do believe that it gives a very distinct feature in terms of how to play a specific type of tribe. Um, moreover, as I was mentioning, you know, reading over the book as well, I will double down on the fact that I think this book out of the other books in general, I feel the rage a lot more. I feel where I could see a lot more of that personal stuff happening to them because it, you would almost say that it is a mature thing. And I, I don't want to fully take that away from you because they do, they feel like there is a controlled rage. That there is a reason to fight back. They are the warrior for that particular reason. They do feel that there are certain types of things that they feel foolish about when it comes to other tribes. So yes, do they have a ghost dance? Good. Right, because they, they do want to heal from the wounds that they have suffered. They look upon the children of Gaia and go like, okay, well, it's great you want to heal the world, but you also want to heal the enemy too. And Wendigo ain't about that. The enemy is the enemy for a reason. There is a difference between light and dark, between good and evil as they currently see it. And that which isn't good is evil, and it is permissible to go ahead and eat the heart out because it doesn't even count for anything. You know, Wendigo wasn't even human to begin with, so it's not considered too much of a cannibal spirit because it's doing what it has to do. You know, and that's a taboo that they get into future you know, parts of the book, but this is what they do. And when they take a look at the Red Talons, well, we can't just rage endlessly because they're human. We have to understand that we're of both worlds, right? And in that, we have to understand the land. So we can't just be feral lupus just starting their, their fight because they're doing it for the wild. They have a mission, folks. And the difference about that, though, is like, especially in this book with the flavor, they give you the reason why they feel that pain and turn it outwards to their war camp. But also, not only do they feel that pain, but they also feel that healing as well. And I think that's the dynamic that comes from it. Once again, I think before we, we close out completely, we understand um, that there are many thoughts regarding how the is portrayed in this book. And we are only solely reviewing it from a fiction side of standpoint and trying to tie in what the goal of it is, right? We will know later in future revisions of the book how it is kind of written and what we'll get from it. But in terms of what we got from it as a tribe, the meaning that I was hoping to get from it uh, as a distinct thing different from other werewolf tribes that we've reviewed so far, I think it hit its mark there. We invite you to read it and give us your opinion as well. You can hit us up via Discord, um, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, wherever. Um, Mike and I and or our staff would be more than happy to go ahead and take a look at it. I know Bob as well, who has now had his wonderful bundle of joy. Congratulations to Bob and Moa uh, for having theirs, and hopefully Bob will be able to join us in the near future. But um, we give them congratulations for for the newborn in this world. 
But once again, folks, um, this is DJ Mike. Um, we appreciate you, and um, we'll catch you on the next one. See y'all later. Thank you for listening to our 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade podcast. If you like what you heard and want to support us, please share it with others or leave a review. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.